There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to another episode of the podcast. This one is sponsored by italki. That's the service that I mention the most on the podcast. And I'm happy to be sponsored by italki because I think that they provide a genuinely useful service for you. And I think it's like a really good mix that you could regularly listen to Luke's English podcast and pick up lots of language. Uh, but you really do need to be activating that language. You need to be using it. You've got to practice, practice, practice. Uh, speak English, communicate. It's, it's a, a vital part of gaining really good English, bringing your English to fluency. Your brain, right, your brain is designed to actually learn languages. It is, and um, it's, it's not some sort of magic, it's not a magical process. It's pretty straightforward, really, as well as, you know, applying yourself to learning the language, actually using it to communicate with real people um, is probably the most direct way of improving your uh, your language learning. Uh, so speak to people. And you might think, who am I going to speak to? Well, the thing is that with italki, there are uh, English speakers and uh, teachers just there right now, just like waiting for you to get in touch with them, waiting to either give you lessons or just talk to you. So there are people now available on the internet and italki can put you in touch with them. Uh, so if you visit italki and have a look through some of the different teachers they have available, and they have a lot, uh, you can see their profiles. You can see that some of them are specialized in different things. So really, it's possible to get uh, either a tailored set of one-to-one -one lessons or just um, some speaking time with a, a, an English speaker who will be, you know, really glad to talk to you and share ideas with you and things like that. Don't be shy. Give it a try. It could make a huge difference to your English. And remember that if you uh, sign up with italki and you buy some lessons, uh, because you listen to this podcast, they will send you a voucher, which is worth um, like about $10. Uh, so you'll get a discount voucher worth $10 after you, after you uh, have bought some lessons with them. To get that offer and just to find out more, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. All right, nice one. Okay, so here's a new episode, and here is the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. Um, welcome back to this podcast for learners of English. Here is a new episode for you to listen to and indeed watch. Uh, yes, you can watch this one because uh, I'm videoing it and you will be able to find the video uh, on the page for this episode on my website uh, or by visiting the YouTube channel for Luke's English Podcast. Um, okay, so also a lot of what I am saying here in this episode, particularly in this introduction, a lot of these words... Um, are written on the page for this episode. 
So you can read it with me or you can check for certain words that you hear me using. Um, and um, so check it out. The best way to get access to uh, these pages for each episode on my site is just to join the mailing list on my website. Uh, you'll see on the website in the top right hand corner, it says subscribe to the mailing list. Just stick your email address in there. And then when I upload a new episode, you'll be sent a link uh, in your inbox. And then you can click that link and it will take you straight to the page uh, for the new episode where you can find all manner of wonderful things, including some transcriptions, um, some particular bits of vocabulary that I sometimes um, print on the page, and also things like, you know, videos when I'm recording them, and links and other things like that. So check that out. All right then, so this should be episode number 431. And in the last episode of this podcast, um, which was, I guess, logically, that would be episode 430, right? That's how numbers work. Um, if you listen to the last episode, then you will have heard me talking to my friend Amber about restaurants and hotels, and also some crazy TripAdvisor reviews. And at one point in the episode, we talked briefly about Gordon Ramsay, who is one of the UK's most famous chefs, and his TV show, Kitchen Nightmares, uh, which was a really popular show in the UK a few years ago, all right? And I thought... I thought it could be interesting to do a whole episode of this podcast about that. Um, So that's what you're going to get. So in this one, I'm going to talk a little bit about Gordon Ramsay. And then we're going to listen to some YouTube clips from one of his TV shows. And I will help you to understand all of the language that you'll hear. No doubt there will be some new vocabulary in there in the process, probably on the subject of food, cooking, restaurants and kitchens, but also lots of other natural language that just comes up, uh, including plenty of swearing as well, lots of swear words, because Gordon Ramsay is known for his frequent use of swear words. Um, and obviously by swear words, I mean all of those rude words um, that uh, that do exist, of course, in the English language. Um, so yes, there will be lots of swearing in this episode, uh, just to let you know in advance. And you know my position on this, probably, if, you, if you're a regular listener to this podcast. Um, my position on swearing and sort of me teaching you swear words or including swear words in my episodes, my position on this is that basically... I'm trying to show you the language as it's really used, and that does include the rude words. Um, But I, you know, I'd like to just remind you that I suggest that you don't get tempted to start throwing swear words into your everyday English, all right? So even if you're kind of picking them up from movies and TV and maybe even episodes of this podcast, I would resist the temptation to start throwing them into your everyday English, of course. Don't make the mistake of thinking that swear words are a shortcut to sounding exactly like a native speaker. Okay, Uh, often swearing just gives people a bad impression of you. And we'll go into it more later because there are, you know, lots of unwritten social rules around swearing that you do need to be aware of. The main point being that with... With swearing, right, it's much easier to sound rude and inappropriate than it is to sound cool, okay? It's much easier to get it wrong and just end up sounding inappropriate rather than coming out, coming across as being, you know, like cool or something. Uh, The main thing being, yeah, that's it. So think, you could think of swearing, right? Think of swearing like a motorbike, okay? Now you might think that it's cool, And it's a bit dangerous, but unless you really know what you're doing, 
then you're likely to seriously injure yourself. Now, you're not obviously going to injure yourself with swearing unless someone punches your teeth down your throat because you said something wrong. Um, but, um, you know, basically with swearing can be cool, but when it's done, in, you know, like when it's done in movies or by someone like Gordon Ramsay, but if you try and do it in your normal life, there's a good chance that you'll just offend people and there are lots of sort of unwritten rules around swearing and so it's a difficult thing to get right if, if English isn't your first language. I'm not saying that non-native speakers of English or learners of English can't swear. I'm just saying that you just need to be aware of sort of how bad it can sound and how bad it can make you look if you're doing it. Uh, but with those things in mind, nevertheless, let's now cover an episode in which there probably will be quite a lot of swearing. So at the very least, you'll sort of learn the very British forms of swearing. Uh, but, you know, use swear words at your own risk. If you end up getting your teeth punched down your throat or you don't, you know, you lose your job or, you know, something like you just pe- you give people a bad impression. Don't blame me. All right. Because I gave you that warning. So, anyway, in this episode, we will listen to some uh, of the English in these YouTube clips of Gordon Ramsay, and we'll analyse the things that uh, the people are saying, so that in the end, you can understand all of it, just like I do, uh, which should help you to learn some real, authentic English in the process. You'll also learn a thing or two about uh, restaurant culture in the UK, and about Gordon Ramsay, who is one of the most well-known people in Britain. And so let's start with Gordon Ramsay then. All right, so who is Gordon Ramsay and what is the TV show that I'm talking about? So Gordon Ramsay is a British celebrity chef, restaurateur and television personality. All right, so he's a celebrity chef basically who became famous on TV. It's probably worth mentioning the difference between the word chef and the word cook at this point, okay? Now, chefs and cook both spend time in kitchens and they both prepare food, but there is a difference. And by the way, it's cook, not cooker. A cooker is is a machine that you use to do cooking. So a machine, you know, like a big, like an oven, that's a cooker. A cook is a person who, who prepares food. And a chef is basically someone who's had professional training, at least a degree, a culinary degree. Uh, but So a, a chef is someone with professional training and experience, and a cook is just someone who cooks food. Okay, now both of those people might work in a kitchen, but mainly a chef is, being a chef is about having the status of culinary qualifications and experience. Um, okay, whereas being a cook is just about preparing food you might not have any qualifications in it so I'm a cook when I'm in the kitchen making dinner I'm a cook but I'm certainly not a chef because I don't have any any qualifications um okay then uh so um let's see Gordon Ramsay is uh one of the most famous chefs in the UK and probably in the world as well in fact um uh he has a reputation for being an excellent restaurateur a restaurateur is someone who runs restaurants Okay, not just someone who works in the kitchen, but someone who designs the menus and organises the kitchen and also maybe is responsible for organising the front of house as well, like the, the design and decor of the of the restaurant area and also is in charge of like employing uh, the waiting staff and just managing the entire restaurant from top to bottom. That's the job of a restaurateur. So he's Ramsay has a reputation for being an excellent restaurateur and chef, and also for his extremely strict and direct style. 
He's very direct and very strict, and he's he, he he doesn't really follow that stereotype of English people that you might have heard me talk about, or that you might have noticed yourself, which is you know English people who sort of are a little bit reserved when it comes to giving negative feedback or criticism, and they tend to kind of be using direct communication styles. Not with Gordon Ramsay; he's right, really direct, as about as direct as you can possibly be, uh, which you know is. On one hand, it's like really rude and really antagonistic to, to on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like refreshing and honest and he's really pragmatic and it's all about kind of getting getting um, getting the job done and making sure that uh, you know everything's done properly and it's it, it's a bit like the way in which people operate in uh, restaurants you know if you're running a restaurant the certainly in the kitchen, the culture is to be very strict and very direct, and it's quite aggressive and quite quite tough working in a really good restaurant. Um, so anyway, he's got this reputation of being uh, of being very direct, and he's often very rude, uh, to be honest, saying exactly what he thinks about the people he's working with in the strongest and most colourful language. Um, imagine an army captain shouting at a platoon of soldiers during military training or like a really tough like football coach or something imagine that imagine an army an army uh mate an army sergeant or something um coaching a football team but with really good food that's kind of what it's like so gordon ramsay was born in scotland but he actually grew up in stratford upon avon i didn't say that word very well he was born in Scotland, but he grew up and spent, you know, much of his upbringing in Stratford-upon-Avon. Stratford-upon-Avon is quite a famous town uh, in the Midlands in England. It's famous for uh, Shakespeare. Shakespeare's birthplace is in Stratford. Uh, and so there's, you know, a great theatre there and stuff like that. It's, it's quite a posh place. Um, and anyway, so he grew up in Stratford, not far from uh, where I grew up in England, Um so he is Scottish, but he doesn't speak with a Scottish accent. Uh, um, he speaks basically with, a, with an, an English accent, let's say, and it's 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 like sort of standard received pronunciation, but with with a slight kind of southern edge to it. Um, yeah, we, you'll see as you as you listen to him in a, in a few minutes. Um, Gordon Ramsay has got restaurants all over the place. He's got restaurants in London, in Paris, and in New York. And during his career, he has trained at the highest level with French chefs in the UK and in Paris. And he specialises in Italian, French and British recipes. And his cooking is known for being simple, unpretentious, high quality and delicious. And, um, you know, he's an excellent chef. And I don't know if you've got this stereotype idea that in the UK we don't really do food and we're not very passionate about food. And we don't have good chefs or good restaurants. That's just wrong. It's it's completely wrong. We love food. We're very passionate about it. We love food programs on the TV. If you've ever spent any time in the UK and watched uh, television in the UK, you'll see that we have a lot of cooking programs and we're obviously very passionate about about food, all right, despite the stereotype of English food not being very good. It's just not true, okay? Uh, Gordon Ramsay's restaurants have been awarded 16 Michelin stars in total. Uh, A Michelin star is a hallmark of fine quality dining, and it's it's basically given by the Michelin Guide, which is like a a standard for excellence in 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 restaurants. Okay, if you get into the Michelin Guide, if you're given a Michelin star, it means that your restaurant is excellent. Um, Michelin stars are very very difficult to win, and restaurants around the world 
proudly promote their Michelin star status if they have one. And um, Gordon Ramsay's signature restaurant, which is called Restaurant Gordon Ramsay in, in Chelsea in London, that restaurant held three Michelin stars since 2001, which is a mark of extremely high quality in restaurant dining. So Gordon Ramsay's a top class chef, basically. Now, as well as being a top chef, Ramsay is also a TV presenter, a sort of a TV celebrity personality. He first appeared on TV in the UK in the late 1990s, and by 2004, Gordon Ramsay had become one of the best-known celebrity chefs um, in British popular culture, and along with other chefs like Jamie Oliver, Nigella Lawson, and Delia Smith, uh, he has influenced viewers to become more culinarily adventurous. Culinarily. That means like regarding food um, and the preparation of food. They're more adventurous with their cuisine. More more culinarily adventure, adventurous. Now, um, so yes. And so I was just saying how it's, there's a stereotype view that the in the UK we don't love cooking, but we do. We love cooking too. Just like in every other country, we're really into cooking. And uh, the UK has got lots of uh, programs about cooking on TV. Okay, then. Now, as a TV personality, Gordon Ramsay is known for his fiery temper, meaning he gets angry easily, and his strict demeanour and his use of expletives. Expletives are swear words. Swear words, expletives, rude words... Um, he often makes blunt and com- uh, controversial comments, including insults and wisecracks about contestants and their cooking abilities. It's great to watch it on TV. I'm not sure I'd like to have him in my kitchen swearing at me and, and uh, you know, getting really angry with my cooking techniques. But it certainly makes very good television. Uh, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, that's the name of the show. Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares used to be on British TV a few years ago, probably around 10 to 15 years ago, to be honest. These days, you can you can find most of the episodes of Kitchen Nightmares on YouTube. Um, all right, so it is available on, on YouTube, I think. Gordon Ramsay's still obviously very, very well known. He's made lots of other shows as well in the UK and in the USA. Um, and... Uh, um, so I'll, I'll tell you more about the show in a moment. Uh, but Gordon Ramsay is very passionate about local restaurants in the UK. In the UK, right, our eating out culture is vibrant and successful, but it is un- it is being undermined by a number of factors. So restaurants in the UK are struggling at the moment. Many of them are struggling, and they have been struggling since the economic crisis of like 2008, which is nearly 10 years ago. Nearly 10 years of economic crisis since that banking crash that we had. And, you know, the restaurants have been struggling with this. Um, uh, one, of, one of the problems, as well as the economic crisis, one of the other problems that like, small local restaurants have, have been experiencing is the industrialization of food culture. Okay, This means that big businesses are involved in preparing food at an industrial level and then selling it to restaurants as part of a large corporate chain. Okay, now imagine a small restaurant, like a little family-owned restaurant, okay? Now, that family-owned restaurant has to, uh, you know, they have to uh, make very careful decisions about the way they purchase the, the, the food that they're going to prepare. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's very easy to lose a lot of money Ideally, you would sell nothing but the freshest ingredients, right? Like fresh, locally sourced ingredients, right? That's what you'd want to sell. That's what you'd want to use in your cooking because everyone knows that good cooking 
is achieved when you use fresh, good quality ingredients, okay? Not processed food, not sort of stuff full of preservatives and chemicals. We want fresh, locally sourced stuff. Now, that's in an ideal world. In the real world, if you're in a local restaurant, it's difficult to do that. What you need to do is buy food that will stay fresh for a long time, food that may be already prepared so that you can quickly uh, uh, prepare it and bring it to the table. Um, there are lots of economic and practical, pragmatic factors which make um, running a restaurant really, really difficult. And so as a result of that, lots of restaurant owners are almost forced to turn to a more economically viable model, which is buying their food from uh, industrial producers um, as part of a large chain of, of, uh, of manufacturers, suppliers, and, and, and deliverers, okay? Um, so now, I talked about chains. Now, these chains might be restaurants, which are all owned by one company. So if your local restaurant has to compete with these chain restaurants that are all owned by one big, powerful company. Or um, these chains might be food manufacturers, like big factories that actually produce uh, the food. Um, and these food manufacturers kind of dominate the wholesale market. By the When I say the wholesale market, I mean the market of selling to restaurants. Not selling directly to Mr. and Mrs. Smith who are eating the food, but selling the food to the restaurants who then sell it to the customers. So business to business, wholesale market. So like factories or, or, or producers selling their food to restaurants. So that's the wholesale market. So these big food manufacturers dominate the wholesale market and they drive down their prices and push out competition such as local producers who sell fresh products. Okay, So the market's dominated by industrialized um, corporate uh, food manufacturers who've managed to you know, find a way of bringing their prices down. And local restaurants sort of obviously will buy from them because it's just cheaper. Okay, Now, in these, in these industrial food manufacturing companies, the food is prepared in high quantities and then sold off to other companies and restaurants as part of a corporate supply chain for food. And there's a big infrastructure for food purchasing in the UK, which is dominated by these big food uh, manufacturers. And as a result, many smaller restaurants are forced to buy industrialised and mass-produced food because it's cheaper and more convenient than fresh food, uh, which you can buy direct from farms or markets. So, of course, as a you know local restaurateur, you might not be able to afford to buy your food fresh all the time and buy new food every couple of days. And, you know, you might not be able to sell it if you have a bad week because you're going to lose money. So kind of economically, it makes more sense to buy from the manufacturing companies. But the food from these manufacturing companies is often processed and they do weird things to it. I don't know what they're doing to the food, but they use chemicals and they use different types of processes that... Make sure that the food stays fresh, but it's not going to be as good. It's not going to be as tasty. Right. Now, if you uh, if you were a struggling restaurant owner in a town in the UK, what would you do? Would you buy your food fresh from a local producer uh, and then make sure you sell it in a short term period or buy similar products from a mass producer at a lower price? Uh, and it's food that you can store for longer because it's been processed to stay fresh. OK, I think you get the idea there of, of that, uh, of what I'm saying. But in the end, People choose to uh, eat at, uh, at, at home because uh, it's just cheaper and easier. And restaurants, um, 
choose to uh, buy from industrial manufacturers. It's not good for the restaurant culture. So, you know, economic factors are having a negative effect on the restaurant culture in the UK to an extent. Not not completely. Obviously, there are still lots of local family-owned restaurants that are doing very well, but it does make the market quite difficult. Um, family-owned restaurants should be where you get proper, traditional and delicious local food. But these restaurants are being squeezed economically and forced to go along with the industrialised food manufacturing process. Also, there are many chain restaurants uh, which you can find on the high streets in the UK. Now, these are not locally run restaurants, but they're owned by big companies who have a single business model, which they apply to all their restaurants. If you've been to the UK, you will have seen a lot of these chain restaurants. Now, I'm not saying that they're all terrible. I've eaten in chain restaurants many, many times. But the success of those restaurants, I'm talking, I don't know, things like, uh, um, you know, Pizza Express and... uh, um, you know other other chains of restaurants that you might find uh, in the UK. Anyway, I've I've eaten at those places plenty of times, but it does make it difficult for smaller local uh, family-owned places to be competitive. Basically, now Gordon Ramsay believes that these local restaurants are the backbone of our restaurant culture in the UK. He believes that they're really important to keep the the restaurant culture alive and fresh and, and vibrant. And he strongly believes that they need to be supported so that they can compete with the corporate chains. And, and you know, he thinks they should be given training so that they can serve the best food possible. Uh, and essentially, that's the concept behind Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. It's about trying to go into these little restaurants and and support them and allow them to survive and allow them to you know teach them how to compete and how to do their best basically and how to serve the best kind of food that they can uh, that's the that's the concept which is a very honorable idea i think um, but also the show is just entertaining it's just entertaining watching him shouting at incompetent chefs and you sort of let him get away with the fact that he's rude and bullying because you believe that he's really just trying to help them to 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 do their best you know you believe that he's trying to give them the discipline that they need to run a good restaurant so in a sense like although he's really tough and really rude it's kind of like tough love or something you know um and he does seem very passionate about proper restaurant culture in in the UK and i like that i like that about him um and uh even though he's making his reality show and obviously he's making money from being a TV star. Uh, I think he does care about improving restaurant culture in the UK. And he's obviously very passionate about, you know, proper cooking. Um, and But also, he's very good at television. He knows how to make entertaining TV. And he's got a good formula for it. And basically, this means that he takes the harsh discipline of the world of, of the professional kitchen, which is a very tough, disciplined world. He takes that discipline and that no-nonsense, brutally honest approach. And he uses it when giving feedback to the restaurants that that he visits, and we get to see it happen. Um, Okay, and so we often see um, Gordon getting angry, jumping up and down, swearing, and doing all manner of things um, to to get his point across. Um, And it does make good TV. Um, Okay, so, so... now let's let's now listen to um, Gordon Ramsay in action 
And I should warn you, as I've already done, that there will be swearing, all right? I've already said that, no need to repeat that. I'm sort of editing this as I go, by the way, everyone. I've written some stuff on the uh, on on this Google document that I'm using. I've written some stuff here, and I'm using that these notes as the basis for my episode. So if you hear me pausing and stuff, it's just that I'm kind of editing the, the notes as I go, all right? Um, and as I said, you can find all this stuff the finished version will be available on the website. Um, so let's listen to a few scenes from from um, the show, all right? And I'm, I'm going to make sure that you understand everything that's going on and everything that's being said, okay? So let's let's learn English with Gordon Ramsay. Let's learn English with, with Gordon Ramsay then. Okay, let's learn how to swear, basically. That's what this is going to be. Um, all right, so, okay, let me just give you an overview of what the TV show format is. So Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares was on the TV in the, in, in, in the UK. And um, basically, in this show, in every episode, Gordon Ramsay visits a failing restaurant somewhere in the UK. So the restaurants are failing. You know, they're losing money, they're getting terrible reviews, or no one's eating there. So these are failing restaurants. And he goes into the restaurant and he spends a week there, observing the, the, the way that the owners run the kitchen, how the business works, and what's going on at all levels in the restaurant. Usually, he starts by sitting down to eat the chef's speciality dish. And it's nearly always disgusting. And Gordon Ramsay then comments on how it tastes and how it looks. And also, he probably comments on the decor of the restaurant and the service from the staff. And he's usually unimpressed. And you usually hear him swearing, going, fucking hell, look at the, look at the state of this place. Then over the course of the week, he helps the managers turn the restaurant around. It's almost always a huge challenge for these you know, restaurateurs to turn this failing business into a thriving business. It's always a huge challenge. And the most difficult part is dealing with the psychological aspects, the sort of motivations and behaviour of the people who work in these places, the stubborn chefs, the relationship issues in the kitchen, the fact that these people have personal issues which are causing the business to go horribly wrong. Um, so it does get very personal. And you could say that it's it's car crash TV, uh, car crash TV. That's an expression that is the kind of te- the sort of television show that is the sort of thing you watch, um, kind of covering your eyes. You watch it between your fingers, like oh, you know, it's almost a little painful to watch. We call that kind of thing car crash TV. So we see arguments, we see meltdowns, we see unhappy customers, and so on. In almost every episode, Gordon seems to go hopping mad as he can't believe the incompetence or shockingly low standards of service shown by the people in the restaurant. He then tries to help them change everything and turn the business around, and it all makes great telly. Uh, And by the end of the episode, with Gordon's help, they usually have turned the restaurant into a successful business again. There's a UK version and a US version. If you're interested in watching some episodes, I suggest that you try to search for the UK version. All right. Now, you know, I'm not, you know, I love American TV shows. I love American stuff. I think it's brilliant. But in this case, I think the British version of of Kitchen Nightmares is better than the American version. Um, You know, and if you search for Kitchen Nightmares, you're probably going to find episodes of the American version. But you need to search with the word UK in the title and then you'll find the, the UK one. I think the UK version is better really because the the US version is just horrible i mean it's full of it's full of all this fast editing 
because I guess viewers watching the American version or the producers imagine that the viewers don't have any attention span. So it's full of all these fast edits and there's loads of music and sound effects which are added added in order to tell you how you should be feeling about what's happening. It's very distracting and patronizing. Let me give you an example of the let me give you an example of the uh, the American version of uh, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, so you can just see, what, so you can hear what I'm talking about. Um, so just che- just check this out. Check out all the all the sound effects. It's like some kind of action movie trailer or something. Um, this is the American version. Tonight on Kitchen Nightmares, Chef Ramsay heads to the historical Old Hitching Post in Hanson, Massachusetts. Where he faces off with an owner so stubborn. Fresh food doesn't taste better. Frozen. It doesn't matter if it's frozen or not. Fresh food doesn't taste better frozen. That's just an example of Gordon Ramsay getting angry. But listen to all the... Like the dramatic music and the swooping sounds and it's like an episode of uh, it's like uh, it's like watching the Terminator or something. Delusional. It's an insult to America. In this area, that's what they love. He doesn't even realize he is the reason his restaurant is failing. Don't tell me that. Owner Tom bought the eatery for his daughter Andrea. It's his way. Oh my god, I can't handle it. And it's not just in the intro as well, it's all the way through the show. Watery and bland. It is absolutely disgusting. Right, okay. So don't watch the American version, okay? Um, not that I've got anything against American TV in general, but that particular production, I don't... No. The British version is better, all right, in this case. Um, now, um, the UK version generally just has a bit of rock music in the background at the beginning, but then during the show, it's more simple. There's less music and there are fewer sound effects, and you can just focus on what's happening without these constant sweeping sounds and tense music. So let's now listen. Let's actually get down to business now and listen to some scenes from one of the episodes, okay? Now, the scenes I'm going to play you are all on YouTube, and these are, these scenes actually come from an episode called called Gordon Ramsay's Great British Nightmares, which was shown on TV between Series 5 and Series 6 of Kitchen Nightmares. It's basically the same as any other episode of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. Uh, and in this, this one is called Gordon Ramsay's Great British Nightmare Dovecote Bistro. And in this one, Gordon goes to visit a restaurant in Devon called uh, Dovecote Bistro. Devon is in the southwest of England. Uh, he goes to this place called Dovecote Bistro, which is run by a guy called Mick. Okay, now let me just tell you a couple of. Let me give you a brief summary of the episode first, so you get some context, which will help you to understand the little scenes that we're going to listen to. Okay, so Mick is the guy who runs the bistro, and he's a former truck driver and burger van operator. A burger van—that's like a you know a van. Van is an English word for a kind of a utility vehicle, you know, like a, uh, a car with a large area of storage on the back. So you could use it to, if you're transporting loads of furniture, you need to get a van, okay? A van, the, the ne- in America they'd say a truck. Um, okay, a van, all right. So uh, Mick used to run a burger van. A burger van, these are, it's a van that has a window in the side and he cooks burgers in the van and sells them through the window. That's what he used to do. Okay, not usually the um, cream of the cream in terms of, uh, you know, uh, cooking, is it really a burger van? But anyway, that's what he used to do. And he's, he's 
since then, he's opened a bistro, which is like a, you know, a restaurant, basically, with his wife and his adopted daughter. So it's Mick, his wife, and his adopted daughter running this bistro. His daughter's called Michelle, adopted. Uh, Gordon Ramsay is firstly appalled... So at the beginning, he's completely appalled and disgusted by the psychedelic wallpaper decorating the restaurant. So Mick has decorated the restaurant with this really flashy, uh, psychedelic-looking wallpaper with these big black and white stripes in these star formations, and it's really striking. So first of all, Gordon doesn't like the wallpaper. And then his attention turns to the food uh, and the way it's cooked. And while Ramsay is impressed with the simple menu... He's furious to find that Mick has very little cooking ability, using orange squash to make a sauce and using vacuum-sealed pre-cooked lamb shanks in a microwave bag. Okay, so he, he uses orange squash to make a sauce. Orange squash. That's basically a sort of horrible stuff that you use to make sort of an orange drink. It's not really orange juice. Orange squash, come. Used, it's the stuff that, I used to drink when I was a kid because back in the 80s, uh, when parents didn't really know any better, they used my my mum and dad and all the other mums at, uh, at for the kids at school used to buy this orange squash in these big bottles, and it was like this bright green cordial, and you pour about this much into a glass, right? Well, not anymore. I mean, I, I guess it still exists, but anyway, used people used to pour. Well, you, you used to pour about this much in a glass and then top it up with water. So that stuff is like concentrated orange cordial. And it's basically made of, I guess there must be something orange in there, not just the colour. I think there's a orange flavourings. Maybe an orange was like floated over the, 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 the bottle at some point. Or maybe a photograph of an orange was was placed in front of the bottle for a couple of seconds, you know. Um, and um, anyway, it's mainly chemicals and flavourings and sugar, and it's filled up with water. That's just disgusting, fake stuff. So this guy, Mick, is using orange cordial, orange squash, to make uh, his sauce, which is really not good at all, you know. If you're going to make an orange sauce, you've got to use proper orange juice. And also, he's using vacuum-sealed pre-cooked lamb. Pre-cooked lamb. So this is that industrialised food I was talking about earlier. Cooked by the company and then vacuum sealed in a plastic bag. That means sealed inside a plastic bag and all the air has been removed. It's vacuum sealed. And if you pre-cook the lamb and vacuum seal it, then it's going to stay fresh for a lot longer. Uh, Lamb shanks. A lamb shank. Oh God, what is a lamb shank? Well, we know what lamb is, don't we? Lamb is the meat that comes from a sheep. You know, that's that's lamb. It's actually a baby sheep. Um, lamb shank is um, a type of. Um, um, it's a, it's basically a part of the uh, a part of the lamb. Um, I still can't find out what lamb shank is. Which part of the sheep is it? Anyway, anyway, I think it's part of the leg. I think it's the the, the thigh uh, of of. Um, of a lamb's leg so the upper part of a lamb's leg so lamb shank there's a bone on it and the meat around the bone is really tender and and delicious usually but this guy is is cooking pre-prepared pre-cooked lamb shanks which have been vacuum sealed and then put in and then he heats them up in a microwave and just opens the bag and just slides it onto the plate 
no, it's not really very good. Now, not only does Mick uh, show little responsibility in the kitchen, he's also secretive with his spending and he's hugely in debt. So Mick has been lying to his wife about, you know, money uh, and he's got lots of debt. So he owes a lot of money. He's borrowed money here and there and he's, he has lots of debt. So this is not a really good recipe. Cooking with these terrible ingredients, lying about finance to his wife. Um, and Mick is adamant that he that the problems in the kitchen are not his fault. Adamant means he's, you know, he's uh, certain and he always says that it's not his fault. He's adamant that the problems are not his fault and his stubbornness, stubborn, this is a, an adjective to mean to describe when someone refuses to change or, you know, if they don't want to do something, they won't do it. Stubborn. And uh, we associate stubbornness uh, with an animal, don't we? With a donkey. Donkeys like a small horse uh, and they work very hard, but uh, they're also very stubborn. And if a donkey doesn't want to move, it won't move because they're stubborn. So Mick is also quite stubborn. Uh, and his, apparently in this episode, his stubbornness causes a rift. It causes a, uh, a split um, between uh, uh, him and his wife and daughter. So it kind of creates this rift in the family. Uh, Gordon Ramsay solves the crisis by taking the business matters out of Mick's hands and kicks him, up, kicks him out of the kitchen. His daughter, Michelle, is placed in charge of the kitchen despite having no cooking experience. So although his daughter's got no experience, she's still a better option than Mick, who's lying and stubborn and, you know, all the, all the rest of it. And Michelle rises to the challenge... And while Mick is not convinced over replacing his microwave food, the reopening of the restaurant is a success. Okay, now let's listen to the first scene. And here we're going to to hear... um, Let's see, let me just find the right uh, one. So this is where Gordon first arrives in the restaurant. And he sits down... First he comments on the, the, the decor of the restaurant. Then he sits down to try the famous lamb shank. And let's hear what he thinks about it. So as you're listening to this, I'd like you to just try to notice. So this is just about three minutes. I might pause it in the middle. But what I want you to notice is um, what does he think of the food? And what does uh, Michelle, the daughter, what does she say about the way the food is prepared? Okay. And the other thing is, of course, watch out for the swearing. Okay. Uh, So if you don't like swearing, then just sort of like brace yourself. And if you do like swearing, then just, you know, try to notice the ways in which Gordon Ramsay swears because he is one of the best in Britain at swearing. Okay, here we go. Let's see what this ex-trucker can do. An eating experience you must try. The steaks, local produce, chicken dishes, duck, lamb, shanks. Oh, lovely. All food is freshly cooked. Fuck me. Hello. Hello, Michelle. Michelle, nice to see you. And pleasure to meet you. Your blouse matches the wallpaper. I feel like I'm tripping out. Never touched the stuff, but I feel like I've just swallowed <laughs> an E. Holy crap. Compared to the hideous wallpaper, the menu's very attractive. Simple, freshly cooked food. On paper, it looks delicious. Orange squash. Spoonful of uh, gravy. Rich and meaty, it's called. Play, a lot of them say it's the best I've had, so... It can't be that bad, can it? First up, mix house special. Duck with orange sauce. Excellent. Oh la la. Okay, those are potatoes. Just Jesus Christ. For you. Fuck me, do I need sunglasses? <laughs> what is that sauce? 
I think maybe it's the orange squash he uses. Did you really say orange squash? It looks like someone's dropped a fucking lemon tart on my plate. Gives it colour. Ah, uh, fuck me. Jesus Christ, that's worse than fucking Benelin. Next up is the lamb shank. Ooh, I love lamb shanks. Fucking hell. Okay, there well, you are. Excellent, thank you. This local lamb. They're, they're actually vacuum packed ones. Uh, actually, they can last for about a year. Just say that again. They're, they're bought in, they're vacuum packed, the lamb shanks, and they've actually got a life shelf of about a year and they don't have to be kept refrigerated. Holy fuck. Yeah. Hold on a minute. So where has that been hanging around? It's just in a box. They're kept in a box. In a hot kitchen? Yeah, I've, I've got to tell the truth. I can't I lie know, to I you. I know, I respect your honesty. <laughs> well, fuck me. And on the box. That's the first for me. I'm not even going to taste it. That's fine. Up. Oh, shit. That might just be the worst food I've ever come across. That might just be the worst food I've ever come across. Okay, uh, so he doesn't like it then. I think that's obvious, isn't it? Um, okay, let's let's go through that again, and I'm going to pause it and just explain things bit by bit. Now, I can't necessarily mention absolutely everything that you heard, um, but I'll try and do my best. You know, we don't have all day, but let's see. Okay, so the first thing is he, he, he's, he arrives at the restaurant. Now, again, just let me mention, you can find all these videos embedded on the page for this episode. So I do suggest that you check that out and look at the videos because it'll it'll help, you know, to clarify all of this and you'll actually get to see what's happening as well. So um, so the first thing is he arrives at the uh, restaurant, he has a look at the menu and then he comes in and he comments on the decor and then he sits down. Let's see what this ex-trucker can do. Let's see what this ex-trucker can do. So he's an ex-trucker, because we know they used to work in a truck, right? An ex-trucker, former trucker. Let's see what this ex-trucker can do. An eating experience you must try. The steaks, local produce, chicken dishes, duck, lamb shanks. Oh, lovely. All food is freshly cooked. All food is freshly cooked, it says on the menu. Freshly cooked, really. Okay. Um, so he seems to like the menu because, you know, the menu is fairly simple and it's got some ingredients that he thinks look good. So anyway, he's quite impressed by that. Now, as he walks into the restaurant, what does he say? So imagine him walking in and he's looking around. What's the first thing he says? And it's a swear word. Fuck me. Did you get that? Did you catch that? He just walks in. He's like literally walking in, having a look at the wallpaper. Fuck me. He walks in, he goes, fuck me. So there's a swear word for you. There's a swear word. Fuck me. Okay, now, fuck me. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean he actually wants someone to, you know, he doesn't want, he's not interested in, uh, yeah, I think you know what I mean. He's not trying to shag someone. Uh, fuck me is a way of saying, oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my God. Fuck me. Look at that. Okay, so fuck me is a way of sort of expressing surprise or shock. Okay, like, fuck me, it's hot, isn't it? Okay, and and it's not always negative, it can be positive. Fuck me, that was delicious. Okay, so fuck me is a way of saying surprise, it's like a way of expressing surprise or shock. And that's the first thing that he says as he walks in because he's he takes a look at the, the wallpaper and he's like, fuck me. And he sort of says it under his breath. Fuck me. Hello. Hello. And then he sees Michelle. Hello. Hello. 
And how do they greet each other? Michelle. Michelle, nice to see you. And pleasure to meet you. You're... Nice to see you. Yeah, and pleasure to meet you. Nice to see you. Pleasure to meet you. House matches the wallpaper. Your blouse matches the wallpaper. Very charming, Gordon. Hello. Hello, Michelle. Michelle, nice to see you. And pleasure to meet you. Your blouse matches the wallpaper. I feel like I'm tripping out. Your blouse matches the wallpaper because her blouse is kind of like black and white striped and so is the wallpaper. And he, and he says, I feel like I'm tripping out. If you're tripping out, it means that you are, um, it, it means that you've like taken some drugs or something and you're hallucinating or something like that. Uh, I feel like I'm tripping out because the, the wallpaper is so dazzling and, and psychedelic. I feel like I'm tripping out. And then he says, what, um, I've never taken one, but I feel like I've just had an E. I've never taken the stuff. I've never touched the stuff, but I feel like I've just had an E. So he's saying, I've never tried ecstasy, but I feel like I've just had an E. I feel like I've just taken some ecstasy because of the wallpaper. Very funny, Gordon. Ciao, nice to see you. And pleasure to meet you. Your blouse matches the wallpaper. I feel like I'm tripping out. Never touched the stuff, but I feel like I've just swallowed an E. (laughs) I feel like I've just swallowed an E. Okay, fine. Crap. Holy crap, he says. Holy crap, which is another way of stating surprise. I swallowed an E. Holy crap. Compared to the hideous wallpaper, the menu's very attractive. Compared to the hideous wallpaper. Hideous. Uh, hideous, all right? There's another one. Um, hideous means disgusting, really ugly. Compared to the hideous wallpaper, the menu's very attractive. Menu's very attractive. Simple, freshly cooked food. On paper, it looks delicious. On paper, it looks delicious. So you got on paper, which is a bit like saying in theory, okay? On paper or in theory. Um, so you got on paper and then in practice, okay? See what I mean? So on paper, meaning like if when you see it written down on the menu, it looks delicious, but in practice, when you actually taste it, it's not. So on paper or in theory, you know, um, on paper, the business plan looks great. Let's see if it actually works. So on paper and in, in on paper in theory and in practice. Um, okay, so uh, on paper it looks delicious. It looks delicious. Now we see a video of um, of Mick uh, cooking with his orange squash, which is not pretty. And Gordon can't see this because he's sitting in the restaurant. Orange squash, spoonful of uh, gravy. Orange squash. This is Mick. Orange squash. Spoonful of gravy. So he's poured a bunch of orange squash into a frying pan and he's pouring a spoonful of gravy. Gravy is a kind of meat sauce, basically. Rich and meaty, it's called. Play. A lot of them say it's the best they've had. A lot of them say it's the best they've had. A lot of them say it's the best they've had. So it can't be that bad. <laughs> a lot of them say it's the best they've had, so it can't be that bad. Mick is convinced that this is a delicious um, uh, recipe. Play. A lot of them say it's the best they've had, so it can't be that bad, can it? First up, Mick's house special, duck with orange sauce. This is the house special duck with orange sauce, and this is the sauce made from orange squash, and it's a bright orange colour. Excellent. Oh la la. Oh la la, says Gordon, which is a French expression, mean, you know, another expression for surprise. So we've had, uh, fuck me, and we've had, holy crap, and now, oh la la, which is, you know, it's not strictly English. I think Gordon picked it up from French chefs he's worked with, probably. Hey, there's the potatoes. Just Jesus Christ. For you. Jesus Christ. There's another rude one. 
another expression of surprise, because of the way it looks. I mean, it looks like it's radioactive, for goodness sake. Fuck me, do I need sunglasses? Fuck me, do I need sunglasses? <laughs> what is that sauce? Uh-huh. Maybe it's the orange squash he uses. Did you really say orange squash? It looks like someone's dropped a fucking lemon tart on my plate. Looks like someone's dropped a fucking lemon tart on my plate. Okay. Uh, notice the way he says fucking, not fucking. So which is a slight difference in his accent, which suggests that he's not from London. He's from somewhere further north. Looks like someone's dropped a fucking lemon tart on my plate. Um, okay. It looks like someone's dropped a fucking lemon tart on my plate. A lemon tart, you know, it's a pie. It's like a sweet pie made from lemons and it's usually bright yellow colour. Looks like someone's dropped a fucking lemon tart on my plate. He's now tasting it. Gives it colour. And he can't eat it. He's he's put it back onto the fork because he can't eat it because it's too disgusting. Jesus Christ, that's worse than fucking Benelin. Next up. That's worse than fucking Benelin. (laughs) Uh, Benelin is a medicine that you would take if you've got a sore throat. Okay, imagine you've got a sore throat. (coughs) Got a bit of a sore throat. Take some Benelin. And it's like, you know, a bottle of medicine and you pour it onto a white spoon and... It tastes disgusting, but it helps your throat. That's Benelin. And, you know, that kind of medicine is usually bright-coloured as well and tastes horrible. And apparently this is worse than Benelin. That's worse than fucking Benelin. Next up is the lamb shank. Oh, I love lamb shanks. Next, the lamb shank. Fucking hell. Okay, there well, you are. Excellent, thank you. This is local lamb. They're, they're actually vacuum-packed. What? Right, so this is where, the, where he realises that it's not local fresh lamb. And she admits openly that it's vacuum-packed lamb, which is, like, cooked already somewhere else and then vacuum-packed and then is stored in the kitchen in a box, just stored in a box on the floor in the kitchen, in a hot kitchen. Cool lamb? They're they're actually vacuum-packed ones. Uh, Actually, they can last for about a year. They can last for about a year. So there's the word last, meaning they can continue. Uh, they can last for a year. Okay, last. Nice, nice word, uh, nice verb, meaning to desc- you know used to describe how long something continues. For example, the film lasts 100 minutes. The flight lasts eight hours. Okay, you know I took some paracetamol, and it only, you know it it lasts for four hours. Okay, so uh, the food lasts for how long? 12 months or something. There's local lamb. They're, they're actually vacuum-packed ones. Uh, actually, they can last for about a year. They can last for about a year? Oh, imagine having pre-cooked meat stored in a box in the kitchen for a year. Oh, that's not right. It's got to be full of chemicals. Just say that again. They're, they're bought in, they're vacuum-packed, the lamb shanks, and they... Passive voice. You know, it's the grammar here. They are bought in so mick buys them in okay they are bought in they are vacuum packed so passive voice mick buys them in the factory vacuum packs them they're vacuum packed the lamb shanks and they've actually got a life shelf of about a year and they don't have to be kept refrigerated they have a life shelf of a year and they don't have to be kept refrigerated Uh, they have a life shelf now michelle gets that wrong probably because she's a bit nervous because she's speaking to gordon ramsay it's not life shelf it's shelf life 
they have a shelf life of about a year. If food or products have a shelf life, it means that that's how long they last, okay? So, for example, in this case, these lamb shanks have a shelf life of a year. A shelf is where you store things, right? You have shelves in uh, your kitchen, and you've got shelves at the top and shelves at the bottom, you know, like these places where you can store things. So, a shelf life, that means they can stay on the shelf for a year, um, in this case. They don't have to be kept refrigerated. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. So we've had holy crap, uh, holy holy fuck, fuck me, Jesus Christ, and oh la la as well. Yeah. Hold on a minute. So where has that been hanging around? So where has that been hanging around? Where's that been hanging around? Meaning where's that been waiting? Where's that been just sort of spending its time? Hanging around. I think you know the expression. What did you do last night? Oh, nothing. We were just hanging around in the park playing football, just spending time in a place. So where's that been hanging around? Meaning where's the food just been vaguely kept, not in a specific place? Where's that been hanging around? And I think she says it's, it's been hanging around in a box. Hold on a minute. So where has that been hanging around? It's just in a box. They're kept in a box. In a hot kitchen? Yeah, I've, I've got to tell the truth. I can't I lie know, to I you. I know, I respect your honesty. <laughs> well, fuck me. And on the box. That's the first for me. I'm not even going to taste it. That's fine. Up. That's a first for me. I'm not even going to taste it. That's a first, meaning that's the first time that he's noted, he's ever experienced that. That's a first for me. It's the first time he's ever been served uh, lamb that's been uh, kept on the uh, on the kitchen floor like that. Um, all right. Okay, let's carry on. Oh, shit. That might just be the worst food I've ever come across. That might just be the worst food I've ever come across. There's a phrasal verb, to come across something. To come across something means to just sort of discover it by accident. So let's say you're just walking along the street, minding your own business, and then, oh, look, £20 note. I just came across a £20 note in the street, you know, and kept walking. And then uh, a few minutes later, I came across another one. What, another £20 note? Take that. And then I came across another one. But what's going on? Just keep coming across £20 notes in the street. Anyway, keep walking. Keep walking, keep walking. Just make sure no one's looking. I kept coming across £20 notes. Eventually, I picked them all up, and, I've, and I, it was like a trail of £20 notes. And I, when I got to the end of it, there was a dead bank robber with a bag full of money. Oh, what did I do? I'm not telling you. It's not a true story. But anyway, that's the expression, is to come across something. And he said, that's the worst, what, the worst... What? Just be the worst food I've ever come across. That could just be the worst food I've ever come across. Strong words. The joker who made it could be beyond my help. The joker who made it could be beyond my help. Yeah, sounds like he's exaggerating a little bit for the for the TV camera, but still anyway, let's go with it. It's the worst food he's ever come across. The joker who made it might be beyond his help. It's actually maybe true because you see from the episode that he tries to help Mick and Mick's not really up for it. Hello. In 21 years of fucking cooking, I've never, ever refused to taste a dish. In 21 years of fucking cooking, I've never, ever refused to taste a dish. So here he is in the kitchen now, talking to Mick and Mick's wife. And he's not mincing his words. He's getting straight to the point. In 21 years of fucking cooking, I've never, ever refused to taste a dish. Cooking. I've never, ever refused to taste a dish. And when the lamb shank arrived on the table, I got told that it has a shelf life of 12 months, 
doesn't need refrigerating, and Dad didn't cook it. When the lamb shank arrived on the table, I got told that it had a shelf life of 12 months, something, 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 and Dad didn't even cook it. What was the something, something, something? Refrigerating, and Dad didn't cook it. Doesn't need refrigerating. Told that it has a shelf life of 12 months, doesn't need refrigerating, and Dad didn't cook it. It doesn't need refrigerating. So this lamb doesn't need refrigerating. Interesting structure, isn't it? Something needs doing, right? For example, this lamb needs refrigerating. Another way of saying it, this lamb needs to be refrigerated. It needs refrigerating. In this case, this lamb, uh, you know, this lamb doesn't need refrigerating. You can keep it on the shelf for 12 months. It's got a shelf life of 12 months. Should be alarm bells if you're a proper chef, no? Doesn't need refrigerating and dad didn't cook it. Mm. How in the fuck could you charge £11 for that? How in the fuck could you charge £11 for that? Tell me. Now, here's another use of swearing, right? Now, in questions, WH questions, where, who, why, what, you know, when, and so on, um, you can just add, not that you should, you shouldn't, of course, really, but people do, people add the word fuck, fuck, if you're from the north of England, fuck, fuck, lots of different ways of saying it. Anyway, fuck. It's one of those episodes. So you can add the word fuck directly after the question word, okay? And it's a way of emphasising it. So, for example, what the fuck is this? Like, what is this? What the fuck is this? What the fuck? It's actually the fuck. What the fuck is this? Who the fuck are you? For example, what the fuck is going on? All right? Like, where are you? Where the fuck are you? Uh, what, what, you know, it's not with what time is it? Uh, not what the fuck time is it? It'd be what fucking time is it? Uh, 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 how, how are you? How are you? How the fuck are you? For example. Um, and what does Gordon say? Gordon actually says, how in the fuck can you charge £11? So, you know, there's another option. How the fuck can you charge £11 for that? And how in the fuck can you charge £11 for that? How in the fuck? It's a pretty weird example of language, but it does show that fuck is one of the most versatile language, uh, versatile words in the English language. It can go almost anywhere in the sentence. We can transform it this way, that way. It's incredibly versatile, isn't it? Interesting that, that swear words often are the most sort of, uh, as I said, most sort of adaptable words grammatically. Um, and we use them in lots of different uh, sentences. How in the fuck can you charge £11 for that? Now, you could put the word fuck in that question in different places. For example, fucking, how the, fucking, how do you charge £11 for that? How in the fuck do you charge £11 for that? How do you fucking charge £11 for that? How do you charge fucking £11 for that? How do you charge £11 for that? How do you charge £11 for fucking that? How do you charge £11 for that, for fuck's sake? Okay. Be aware that um, uh, swearing is considered to be very rude in most situations. But, you know, here we are, Gordon Ramsay using it. I'm just trying to help you understand the way that people swear in British English. I'm not saying you should do it. Do what I do. Do what I say. Don't do what I do. All right. And when the lamb shank arrived on the table, I got told that it has a shelf life of 12 months, doesn't need refrigerating, and dad didn't cook it. Mm, 
How in the fuck can you charge £11 for that? Tell me. Most pubs around here all use the same sort of system. Mick, you're running a bistro. Where's the lamb shank? That's there the you are, Gordon. That's his famous lamb shank. There you are, Gordon. That's his famous lamb shank. So he's like asking where the lamb shank is. Uh, and uh, she brings the box out and opens up the box. And there it is, this box of lamb shanks. Oh, God, it's not pretty. Oh, If you're eating nice lamb, you want it to be fresh, don't you? You don't want it to be vacuum packed and kept in a box for nine months. Oh, oh. Doesn't bear thinking about. Mick, what in the fuck is inside the lamb shank? What in the fuck is inside the lamb shank, Mick? <laughs> Gordon Ramsay, right? I didn't tell you what he looks like. I mean, he's sort of... He's got this bright blonde hair. He's stocky and quite well built. And he's got like this face, right? He's got like these lines in his forehead. He's got like this sort of... I don't know how to describe his face, really. His face just seems chunky. He's got a square jaw. He looks tough and he looks intimidating. And, you know, he's quite, I'm sure he's quite a frightening person to deal with. So if you've got Gordon Ramsay's face right up in your face going, how the fuck, what the fuck is in these lamb shanks, Mick? It's going to be quite off-putting and quite intimidating. But, you know, the point is that the the, the reason why Gordon Ramsay can do it is because he backs it up. He backs it up with uh, all of his experience and all of his knowledge of cooking, and he backs it up with a sort of passion that shows he does... He is trying to make people cook good food, ultimately. That's how he justifies being rude to people. You know, I mean, does it justify... Not everyone likes Gordon Ramsay. He's quite a controversial person, you know, obviously, because of the way he talks and the way he acts. And a lot of people don't like him. But you can't argue with the fact that he gets results. Anyway. And how long has that been cooked for? How long has that been cooked for? So Mick doesn't know what, what the ingredients are of the lamb shank in this plastic bag. He doesn't know how long it's been cooked by the manufacturer... Uh, which is, again, not a good sign for, for a restaurateur, is it? You've got to know what's in your food that you're preparing and, and providing to your customers. And how long has that been cooked for? For a dish never to be refrigerated? Well, it's all chemicals, isn't it? And Mick goes, well, it's all, it's all chemicals, isn't it? It's all chemicals, isn't it? He says with a sort of slightly smug look on his face. And Gordon Ramsay at this point is like hopping mad. Chemicals?! But it's all chemicals, isn't it? Chemicals? Be. E number two, E6134, E627, E262, thickener E415. God, how many E numbers was that? Oh, E numbers are like, you know, these evil chemicals. I say evil, I mean, you know. they. I guess they're used to preserve the food or to enhance the flavour. And, you know, you know, some people say that E numbers are very unhealthy and that they can, you know, they're very bad for your health because the body can't really process them properly because they're basically just like synthetic chemicals. 
E this, E102, E1 this, E all these different E numbers. It's it's really, really awful. That orange squash, remember the orange squash I told you about before? The stuff that you used to get in the supermarket in the 80s in these big bottles, this industrial orange squash that um, all of our parents used to feed to us because they didn't know any better. That orange squash was revealed. Now, there was this thing, right, in the 80s where a lot of kids had hyperactive behaviour, hyperactivity. That's where the kids suddenly are running around and they, you can't stop them. They're just running around. They've got far too much energy running around all the time. They go, they're going mad. And all the parents were like, what's wrong with these kids? Why, have, why are they so insane? Why have they got this energy? Why can we not shut them down? And why are they losing, you know, why, the, why do they get so upset and so crazy? Um, and it turned out it was the orange squash. The orange squash contained a, a chemical called E102. And E102 uh, was, uh, people said that it caused uh, major hyperactivity in kids. And, uh, and so there was this big scare around, the, around uh, the media and stuff about E102, which is otherwise known as tartrazine. Uh, and um, it's a synthetic lemon yellow dye. It gives the color. Uh, let's have a look at E102 side effects. Um, so E102, otherwise known as tartrazine, is a synthetic yellow azo dye derived from coal tar. Coal tar. Tar is that thick black stuff that they use to put on roads. It's So tartrazine is derived from coal tar, and it's been banned in several countries like Austria and Norway because of serious side effects, such as causing potentially lethal asthma attacks. And, and rashes on the skin, DNA damage, and ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So, I mean, that's just one of the E numbers, but this bloody lamb contains all these different E numbers. Uh, I don't think it's got E102 in there, but um, a lot of E numbers for, you know, preserve, preserving the food and providing colour and flavour. It's basically a bag of chemicals. Ugh. E number two, E6134, E627, E262, thickener E415, E4112. Do you feel like having a shit? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Do you feel like having a shit? E102, E164, E457, thickener E749. Do you feel like having a shit? I've ne- to be honest, I've never <laughs> I've never heard that uh, question before, except for in this show. Do you feel like having a shit, Mick? Do you feel like having a shit? Because you f- you should feel like having a shit. This is shocking. Do you feel like having a shit? <laughs> 415. E4112. Do you feel like having a shit? Thank fuck I didn't eat it. Oh, God. Thank fuck I didn't eat it. Okay. Which is another, like, you know, thank God I didn't eat it. Thank fuck I didn't eat it. Oh, dear. Don't be offended, all right? Don't Please don't be offended because it's just not worth it, all right? Because they're just words. It's, it's not really that bad. Don't be offended. It's all fine. Just don't use them. You don't have to use them. But at least learning how people really speak. And this, is, this show was a seriously popular show on the UK. It used to be on um, in the week. I think it was on like a Wednesday evening at about 9pm. 9pm um, is the time in the UK when you get after 9pm, that's when children are expected to be in bed. And that's when they start to show programmes that contain more adult stuff like rude language and, and, and things like that. Uh, so it's probably on 9 or 10pm. 
Uh, and many, many millions of people used to watch this stuff. And we all survived, despite the swearing. Um, so, uh, thank fuck I didn't eat it. So what did we have before? We had, what the fuck is that? Okay. Now, there is a less rude version. You could say, what the hell? What the hell is that? Or even, what the heck? What the heck is that? Now, that's the same thing, but less rude. So, you don't have to say, what the fuck is that? You could say, what the hell is that? Or, what the heck is that? And, thank fuck I didn't eat it. Thank fuck we didn't go out. Look at the rain. Thank fuck we didn't go out. Thank fuck I didn't eat it. You could say, thank God, instead. Thank God I didn't eat it. All right? Which is, generally, in the culture, less rude than saying the F word. Um, all right. Do you feel like having a shit? <laughs> I am amused by that one, I have to say. Thickener, E415, E4112, do you feel like having a shit? Thank fuck I didn't eat it. Sugar, flavourings, colour, E150D, spices, emulsifier, E322, yeast, extract. Come on, Mick. Fuck me. I'm surprised you haven't fucking killed off half the population in Oakhampton. I'm surprised you haven't fucking killed off half the population of Oakhampton. To kill off the population, I think you get the idea. Not just to kill the population, but to kill off. That means completely exterminate. Not just kill them, exterminate them, kill them off. I'm surprised you haven't fucking killed off half the population of Oakhampton. <laughs> All right then. Um, now, I would like to continue. I'd like to go through the other episodes, uh, the other little videos in that um, from that episode of Kitchen Nightmares because there are three, about three other clips on YouTube, because you might want to know what happens next. Um, how does Gordon deal with the rest of the problems in the kitchen and what happens at the end? Now, I think what I'm going to do is stop this podcast now um, and this will be the end of part one and then I'll start again with part two in just a moment, okay? So there'll be a second episode and probably a second video available for this too, okay? As long as the video is working, I think it's working all right. You never know. Sometimes you get technical problems and then when you've finished recording, you realise that, oh God, it didn't work or there was a problem with the sound or something. As far as I can tell, it's working now. Um, so there should be um, there should be a part two for this coming soon. All right then. Okay, so how are you doing out there in podcast land, ladies and gents? Are you doing all right? Have you managed to follow this? You've, you've picked up a few bits of language from this one, right? Obviously, there's all the swearing stuff, but also some other things like on paper. On paper, it looks delicious. Uh, hideous food. like It looks hideous, meaning it looks really ugly. Benelin, that cough medicine. Uh, a shelf life. It's got a shelf life of about a year. It lasts for about a year. Where's that been hanging around? And come across. It's the worst food I've ever come across. And other stuff. And don't forget to visit the page for this episode on the website. If you're watching the video, just click the link below. Uh, and if you're listening, uh, if you're on a bus or something and you're listening to this or you're just out and about doing your thing or you're in the kitchen preparing your dinner, um, then don't forget to check out the episode uh, page, uh, teacherluke.co.uk. This should be episode 431 um, and uh, you'll find it in the episode archive. Uh, just go to the website and click episodes and you'll find the episode archive there. Uh, and as I said before, join the mailing list. It's the easiest way to get access to the page because I'll send you a link straight to your inbox when I've published it. Okay then. All right. So that's it for now. Speak to you again 
on the podcast soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.